On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps' 2-2 two and two week against Bryant and Delaware, pick a Terp of the week, and play another round of fair or foul. Plus, a conversation with senior center fielder Zach Jankarski and a preview of the upcoming week with a midweek game against Delaware and a weekend series against the number 18 team in the country, East Carolina. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. I'm Justin Galanti, once again joined by Connor Newcomb. Connor, it was a 2-2 two and two week for the Terps. Started off with two losses and things weren't looking great. And then it ended with two nice wins against Bryant Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, very rough start to what was an interesting weekend for Maryland because that Delaware game kind of got moved to Thursday. They had the four games in a row Thursday through Sunday over the weekend. And a very rough start, especially offensively for the Terps. I mean, they got one hit in the Friday night game against Bryant. Scored just the one run against Delaware in that game on Thursday, but they came back. The offense exploded on Saturday, and then, of course, Hunter Parsons just setting the world on fire with his complete game in Sunday's game. So really a good end to the weekend. It started very roughly for the Terps. Yeah, so the it was four games in four days, and then when they play the midweek tomorrow, or I guess today because this podcast will be released on Tuesday against Delaware, it'll be five games in six days, but it started with a game against Delaware, as you said, here the Maryland Terrapins lost 7-1, to one, and the Terps had their opportunities offensively, got nine hits, but just couldn't come through. The only run scored was on a Randy Bednar solo home run in the third inning, and Mark DeLuya went three innings, allowed three runs, and just wasn't quite as sharp as he was in his previous midweek start uh, against VCU. Yeah, things just weren't coming as easily for DeLuya as they did against VCU when he put up a zero in that start. As you said, only the three innings, he gave up three runs, and Struck out five, though, in the three innings, which is a good sign for him moving forward. He still had the good strikeout stuff there, but just wasn't finding the zone. A walk in each of his three innings, struggled a little bit. And as you said, the offense, I mean, they left 12 runners on base. Not sure how much the offense really could have done giving up the seven runs to Delaware, but you're hoping against a team like the Blue Hens you can win a midweek game like that. And the Terps just came out flat both pitching and hitting-wise, and it was not a great start to the weekend. Then Friday was a 7-3 loss against Bryant. As you said, the Terps got one hit. It was a weird game. Jack Patterson, the starter for the Bulldogs, went six and two-thirds, one hit, three runs, seven walks. So it was just a very odd game. And Maryland was right in it late. They cut it to a 5-3 game going into the ninth inning, but then had some trouble with wild pitches and things like that. Gave up two runs in the top of the ninth, got down 7-3, and then went down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the ninth. So that was a loss. Taylor Bloom, not quite as sharp as he was uh, against Radford the previous Friday, five and two-thirds, six hits, four runs. And then after that game, you're kind of worried again about this Maryland offense, but they certainly turned it on on Saturday behind Tyler Bloom on the mound. It was a 12-6 win. The Terps knocked out 16 hits, and that was really as complete of an offensive performance as we've seen from the team this year. Yeah, Bloom was good, not great, but he did not have to be great at all. That Maryland offense broke out, obviously, on Saturday, as you said, the 12 runs, the 16 hits. Everybody up and down the lineup was getting on base, and everything was kind of working for the Terps in that one, and that was 
really what they needed to kind of break out of the little mini offensive slump they had gone back into after such a great weekend down in Coastal Carolina the week before. So it was interesting to see them come back home and kind of slump for a couple of days. But then they broke out of it on Saturday, got a big win. The offense was there for all nine innings pretty much. Nick Dunn had that big bases clearing double late in the game that kind of sealed it as he's Maryland's hottest hitter right now. But then they went on to Sunday and things kind of all came together in the final game of that series. Yeah, they did. It was a great start from Hunter Parsons. He threw Maryland's first complete game since two years ago when Brian Schaefer did it in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Parsons, excuse me, went nine innings, ten hits, three runs, only two earned, one walk, and four strikeouts. And he only threw 102 pitches, which was really impressive. And it's now three straight really good starts from Hunter that have all built off one enough or one another, excuse me, and now you're starting to get really excited about Maryland's weekend rotation. Yeah, it's been such a great building process for Parsons. That first start that you're talking about against Army, went four and two-thirds, just couldn't get through the five innings, but actually DeLuya came in and got him out of a jam and kept him in line and kept the Terps in line, excuse me, for the win in that Sunday game against Army. And then he really built off that with what was his best start to date against Ball State last Sunday where he put up the seven innings and a career-high seven strikeouts and didn't give up any runs. And then he kind of built on that in a different way on Sunday against Bryan. He gave up the three runs, only two of them earned, and he only struck out four, but he was able to kind of conserve pitches better. As you said, 102 pitches. He attacked the zone, I think, even more than he did against Ball State using that slider. Guys were kind of, you know, it was interesting against Ball State, a lot of ground outs with the fastball. It seemed like against Bryant, it was a lot of pop-ups using that slider. Guys were kind of getting under it. He was jamming him with it a lot and a lot of slow ground balls as well. So I think we've seen Parsons' best stuff over the last two Sunday starts. And I think the best part of that start on Sunday is when he gave up a couple of singles in the ninth inning with the Terps up 5-3. to three. John Murphy, the closer, ready in the bullpen. Rob Vaughn comes out to the mound, runners on first and third with two down, holding just a two-run lead. And of course, Murphy's ready to come in. He's been amazing this season. Vaughn talks it over with Parsons and, you know, asked him what he was going to throw and everything worked out and Parsons stayed in the game and on that first pitch got the ground out and got himself out of the game. I think that was a huge moment for the Terps, kind of showing that the coaching staff has so much confidence in Hunter Parsons. Yeah, we asked Coach Vaughn after the game. We went over to him and said, so what did you say to Hunter there? And he said, I went out and said, do you want to come out? And Hunter said, no. And he said, all right, how are you going to get this guy out? He said, I'm going to bust him inside with a fastball. He did that on the first pitch, got a weak ground out to third base, and uh, the game was history. Offensively, you get six more hits from the top two in the order, Zach Jankarski and Nick Dunn. Randy Bednar has a couple hits. Marty Costas had two RBIs, a big uh, go-ahead hit in the bottom of the eighth inning. A.J. Lee had a go-ahead hit in the seventh inning. So it was all good things for Maryland. And they also started Ty Friedrich behind the plate on Saturday and Sunday, and he had three hits in the two games. So you're feeling pretty good about Friedrich behind the plate. He started the last three Saturdays now because Tyler Blome likes throwing to him, but now he used him on Sunday, and he worked obviously fantastic with Hunter. Yeah, he got the one hit in Sunday's game, and you know he got himself on base just the one time after a very solid game. I think everybody had a solid game Saturday. He got his first couple of collegiate hits. But, yeah, he looked good back there defensively. Only had, I think, one pitch get by him for a pass ball in that game. Maybe was scored a wild pitch. But either way, he looked good back there defensively, handling the pitching staff, obviously working well with Parsons, who throws his first career complete game. So it's good for the Terps to have another option back there. We kind of talk about how Justin Morris might be the Terps' best defensive option behind the plate, but he hasn't been hitting very well at all. So if Frieger can get the bat going, he's going to see a lot of playing time going forward.
So the Terps with the wins on Saturday and Sunday win the series against Bryant. They're now 9-6 and six on the season, so the same three games over 500 they were when they ended the undefeated week against VCU, Radford, Ball State, and Coastal Carolina. So 9-6 and six going into this big, big week with one game against Delaware and then three against number 18, East Carolina. But I think you're feeling pretty good, at least about the offense coming out of Saturday and Sunday after it was rough Thursday and Friday. And then you're feeling really good about the weekend uh, rotation, as we said. So now coming off this two and two week, it's time for us to pick our Terp of the week. And I will defer to you to go first on this one. Well, I think the uh, guest on the podcast later has a good shot. I mean, I think this might be the second straight time I'm picking this Terp of the week, but Hunter Parsons went out there and threw a complete game on Sunday. So, I mean, he just keeps getting better and better this season, as we've talked about. And I think Parsons has to be my Terp of the week. I mean, Nick Dunn, Zach Jankarski, both obviously up there with the great weeks they've had and the great seasons that both of them have had. But Hunter Parsons, as you said, the nine innings, the two earned runs, four Ks and one walk. It was just phenomenal to see him. I mean, we were talking about after he got through eight yesterday on the broadcast that John Murphy was ready in the pen. He's been great. And you know, the Terps are up two. really need this win to win a series. We're thinking great start from Hunter. He did. He gave Maryland everything they needed and more in that Sunday game. You go to Murphy, he closes it down. The Terps get the win. All of a sudden, we see Parsons drop back out there. He gives up a couple hits and still gets through the inning, gets the complete game. So for that, he's my Terp of the week. Yeah, and the other good thing that Hunter's complete game does is you're starting to worry a little bit if you're Maryland four games in four days, five games in six days about pitching depth. But John Murphy pitched one inning this weekend. Kevin Biondic pitched two-thirds of an inning. So they'll both be a full go behind Mark DeLuya, uh, in the game against Delaware. But for Terp of the Week, I'm going to go with Nick Dunn, who after the game on Friday, his batting average was in the 270s. It's now almost 360, which is frankly incredible. On Saturday in the 12-6 win for Maryland, Dunn was 4 for 5 with 4 RBIs and 2 runs. And then in the 5-3 win on Sunday, he was 3 for 4 with 2 more runs scored. And it's just starting to look like pitchers are wondering, how do we get Nick Dunn out right now? Bryant started three straight lefties. They brought lefties out of the bullpen to face Dunn, who's a left-hand hitter, and it just didn't even matter. He was that good. Yeah, and I love where he's hitting in the lineup right now. I like to think that the best hitter in a baseball lineup should hit second. I mean, the guy you want at the top is probably your best on-base guy with a little bit of speed as well, but I think your best pure hitter should be hitting second, and that's Nick Dunn right now for the Terps, and that's where he is in the lineup. And with Zach Jankarski seemingly getting on base almost every time as well, and the guys at the bottom of the lineup, Tommy Gardner, Ty Friedrich, are doing well down there. Dunn's coming up with a lot of guys on base. He's coming up in good situations, and he's producing every single time. It was an incredible weekend for Dunn, capped off by what he did on Sunday, which was on base four out of five times. Same thing he did Saturday, just absolutely on fire for him. So I think a great choice for Turp of the Week, and he's going to be the leader of this Maryland offense, at least from what we've seen so far. And you mentioned we're going to have Zach Jankarski as our guest on the podcast in a little bit. But first, we have to bring back our favorite game, fair or foul. So our first statement for the week, Maryland's weekend rotation is set for the rest of the year. You know, I'm going to have to say fair. I mean, maybe it was still a question after the couple of Hunter Parsons starts because the one against Army, you know, four and two-thirds, he still couldn't really get deep into the game. Then he had the great start against Ball State, but you're 
hoping you're looking for him to build off of that before you say anything. Now with the complete game start, and obviously Bloom and Bloom are locked into those two spots. I think the rotation is set. This is what Maryland was hoping for from Hunter Parsons last year when he came off such a great freshman season. Just didn't get it from him at all, and now he comes back. And now the Terps can really just worry about kind of what they're doing in the midweek. And I think DeLuya long-term will be the answer. He's just got to work out a little bit of stuff. Still a freshman, hasn't made many starts. But I think a very good thing for the Terps is the weekend rotation, I think, is set. Because if you're going in to a week of four games and you're not really confident in who you're throwing out there on a Tuesday and on a Sunday, that's some issues. But if you have the weekend locked down, you can kind of piece together the midweek or if DeLuya starts pitching a little bit better, he can lock that spot down and I think the Terps will be very good going forward. Yeah, the interesting thing is going to be in two weeks when Maryland has its first double midweek of the season, a Tuesday game against North Carolina and a Wednesday game against Elon, who starts the other game that Mark DeLuy doesn't start. But for this question, Maryland's weekend rotation being set for the rest of the year, I think it's a fair statement that Taylor Bloom, Tyler Bloom, and Hunter Parsons will pitch Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Maybe those days get switched at some point if things change. But I do think it's fair that those three guys will be the weekend starters the rest of the year, which will make it the entire year for Maryland. And then it will be two years in a row, if that happens, that the Terps have not had to make a switch with a weekend starter and a midweek starter maybe moving on to the weekend, which is obviously a good thing because that means those weekend guys have been effective. Second statement, Tommy Gardner needs to be in the lineup every day in some capacity for Maryland, whether that's playing third base or being the designated hitter. This guy, his average isn't spectacular right now, but his on-base percentage is 455. He got a few starts this weekend at DH and at third base. Saturday and Sunday was really strong defensively at third base. So the freshman Gardner needs to be in the lineup every day. I pose it to you. I am going to say foul, not anything against Tommy Gardner. He's getting himself on base. Obviously, the average isn't there quite yet. He's getting on a lot with the walk. He's getting hit by some pitches. Um, not really seeing the hits from him maybe yet. We're obviously seeing the defense, though. But although Taylor Wright really has struggled with the bat lately, I think he's still going to be an option for the Terps as a left-handed bat, especially against some right-handed pitching this year. And I still think Taylor Wright will get some starts this season, maybe a couple, just to know you want to get him back in that lineup. You want to, you know, ideally you want Gardner and Wright to be hitting, so you have those kind of options. So, Nothing against Gardner. He's been getting on base a lot. But if he starts to hit a little bit more as well as drawing the walks and getting on base, and even if that average jumps from 200 up to around 250 and 260 in where his on-base percentage is, then I think you could say he could be the everyday third baseman for the Terps. Yeah, I agree that it's somewhat a foul statement. I think with a guy like Taylor Wright, who, as you said, has struggled, but he was the cleanup hitter to start the year, and you're not just going to go away from that right away because a guy struggled through 15 games or whatever. It's a long, long season. So I'm going to also say a foul statement, but I do think, at least from my perspective, Tommy Gardner should be in the lineup more often than not. I really like his approach at the plate, and we discussed this in the game on Sunday, how he seems like he's up there saying, I don't want to strike out right now. I want to put the ball in play and see what happens. And in an age of baseball where guys don't mind striking out anymore, but maybe for some watching it's a little frustrating to see a lot of strikeouts. It's fun to see Tommy at the plate battling with two strikes, shortening up and finding a way on base, which he's done 45.5% of the time uh, when he's gotten to the plate. 
Statement number three of Fairfowl, the worst thing that happened to Maryland this week did not occur in a Maryland baseball game. And the reason we are saying that is because we talked last week about how great that win at Coastal Carolina was. They were number 24 in the rankings this week, but then they lose three out of four this weekend, all at home, two to High Point and one to Ohio State. You know, I'm going to lean foul here, and I just think that's because although you said that, you know, the three losses, two to High Point, one to Ohio State over the weekend for Coastal Carolina, they still took down Wake Forest 19-3 to in a midweek game. I think they're still going to be a good team. And the other thing is, for Maryland's resume, when they get to tournament time, if of course, if they don't win the Big Ten tournament, yes, it's important for RPI and for teams you're beating to have good records, but it's mostly important for you to get the job done. And I think that loss for the Terps against Delaware, and especially the Friday loss to Bryant, only getting the one hit, wasn't very good for the Terps, especially coming off of such a great weekend in Con Conway where they won all three games and just kind of came back to College Park and couldn't really hit. So I think if you had to pick a worst thing from the weekend for Maryland, I would probably say it's Thursday's game against Delaware where the Terps were just outpitched, outhit in that game and just really didn't have anything going for nine innings. Yeah, I agree. I think the statement is foul. I don't think anything terribly bad happened to Maryland this week. Two and two is not the worst thing in the world. You win the weekend series. And I think there were certainly some positive signs coming out of it. And two and two for Coastal on the week. I mean, High Point's a decent team. We saw them take two of three from Maryland last year. Ohio State is improved, and Wake Forest made it to a super last year. And for Coastal to dismantle them the way they did is obviously a big thing. So I'll say the statement is foul, but also that nothing terribly bad happened to the Terps this week. Statement number four of fair or foul. After the Marty Costas batting leadoff experiment, to start the season is seemingly over. Zach Jankarski is back to being the best leadoff hitter in the Big Ten. And I'll go first on this one. I think it's a fair statement. Zach Jankarski and Nick Dunn, so one, two in the order, combined, got on base 16 times in the Saturday and Sunday games of this series. And Jankarski is somebody who just finds any way on base. His average is creeping up towards 300 again. And he's just a really difficult guy for teams to face at the top of the order. So I think, fair statement, Zach Jankarski is right back where he was last year. And after the experiment to start the season, I think Maryland's gone to the mindset, hey, if it wasn't broke, let's not try and fix it. Yeah, and I think it was the right call to put Jankarski back into that leadoff spot. But I'm going to kind of go with the too soon to tell thing here. I mean, Jankarski's been hitting great. The, Bryant just couldn't get him out over the weekend, but... Best leadoff hitter in the Big Ten. We really haven't seen the Terps get into Big Ten play yet. You really want to see how they do against the conference team. So obviously maybe too early to compare him to these other guys in the Big Ten. A couple of other pretty good teams that are having solid starts to the season in the Big Ten conference. But I think by the end of this thing, Jankarski could well be the best leadoff hitter in the Big Ten potentially at the end of the season again, like I think he was last year. But probably a little too soon to tell. But I do think that the Terps made the right decision going back to Jankarski and putting him back at the top of the order. And our final statement for fair or foul this week, Maryland's next nine games will define its season. And so those nine games include a game Tuesday at Delaware, three on the road against number 18 East Carolina, a midweek against a ranked North Carolina team, a midweek against Elon, and then three games back here in College Park 
against the Stetsons team that has only lost one game this season and has some of the most impressive pitching numbers you will ever see. Yeah, this might kind of be a hot take. I think this does kind of define Maryland's season. Now, obviously, the Terps in these nine games go something like two and seven or something like that. They can obviously turn it back around as they get back in Big Ten play. Kind of starts right after that stretch, after a midweek at Richmond. The Terps get right into Big Ten play with a home series against Northwestern and then Illinois. So, obviously, the Terps have a chance to turn it around in conference play, but this is probably the best stretch of non-conference games the Terps might play all season, even though the Tennessee series and the game against Coastal Carolina. I mean, you have this East Carolina team this weekend that's ranked 18th in the nation right now by D1 Baseball. They're 12-3. and three. They're looking very, very good. It would be a strong team to take one or even two of three of this weekend. And then UNC, obviously, one of the power programs in the country. And then that Stetson team, very under-the-radar team in college baseball. That pitching rotation is phenomenal, as is East Carolina's this weekend. So I think we're really going to see how good this Maryland lineup is in these next nine games. And I think it really could define how we look at the turf season. I don't know if it's necessarily going to define the entire season. I think it's unfair to say that before Big Ten play even starts. But I think it could show us how good Maryland can be this year, if that makes sense, because the Terps have had a knack of playing up to competition this season. Their four biggest games were three on the road against Tennessee and one at Coastal Carolina, and they went three and one. So I'm really excited to see what Maryland can do in the next two weeks. And they've got some big opportunities. The three at ECU, as you said, and the one at North Carolina could be absolutely massive for the RPI if they can go, let's say, three and one or even two and two in those four games because they're on the road. So I'm going to say foul. It won't completely define the season because we can't just ignore Big Ten play. But I think it can show us uh, just how good Maryland could be. And as we've said, one of the guys who makes Maryland as good as, they, as good as they can be is leadoff hitter and center fielder Zach Jankarski. And we had a chance to sit down and talk with him about everything uh, that's gone on now in his four years in College Park. So here's that talk with Zach Jankarski. Here is the one-two. Swing and a fly ball to deep left center field. Going back at the track, at the wall, it's gone! A game-tying home run from Zach Jankarski. We are even at one in the ninth. Now joined by Terps senior center fielder, Zach Jankarski on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Zach, thanks for taking some time and joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So it was a big weekend for you and the team. Two and two, but Saturday and Sunday, the offense really broke out. What do you think changed in those two games? Um, you know, I think our uh, our guys really stick to our approach and our plan, no matter really the outcome. We try and stay off results as much as possible. Um, with that being said, um, every every game, no matter what, there's nine guys in the lineup, and then guys coming off the bench are more than capable of getting the job done. Um, and then our pitching staff has done a really good job um, just battling out there for us and kind of being the players that they uh, that we know they can be. Um, so I think um, our offense is just kind of relentless right now. And uh, when things aren't going good necessarily in the beginning of the game or maybe like a mid-game um, little scuffle, like nobody really panics. Um, we have uh, – we just have a resilient group who – who really uh, believe in each other. Um, we use the term pulling the same end of the rope all the time. So, um, you know, just being unselfish and, and working as hard as we can to pass uh, pass it on to the next guy as far as our at-bats go and uh, 
just taking something from the pitcher no matter what. So, you know, basically uh, it was a pretty good weekend, um, pretty good week, a lot to learn from it, um, some good and some bad. But um, I like where we are right now um, as far as a, as a whole team, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, this week coming up. Now, after there was a little bit of a lineup change down at Coastal, you're back in the leadoff spot, Nick Dunn batting second. In the Saturday and Sunday games, I believe the two of you were on base a combined 16 times, which is somewhere close to being absurd. Um, what are you seeing with Nick right now? Because it just doesn't look like anybody can get him out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just about it. I mean, he's uh, he's an exceptional hitter, and he's you know, he's just doing what Nick Dunn does. I mean, um, obviously, uh, being one and two in the order, our job is to get on base and uh, – make something happen so that the guys behind us can drive us in. But, um, you know, Nick is, is just swinging a really hot bat right now. I mean, I guarantee no one on our team, if you ask them, is very surprised about it. He's a, a very um, – he has a professional approach, and uh, he just um, works hard day in and day out to do that. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised about it. But as far as us getting on base, that's when our offense works best, I believe, when uh, – when me and him can get on base and you got you got guys like beyond dick and marty and aj and audience one through nine or uh three through nine after that to to knock us in i mean we're really dangerous so um hopefully we can keep that going and uh and yeah i mean credit to nick dunn i'm sure he's not going to slow down he's just he's doing like i said he's just doing what nick dunn does and getting on base and driving the baseball do you feel more comfortable back in the leadoff spot after batting second for the first portion of the season or does it not really matter to you um, yeah, I mean, I like to think of myself as a leadoff hitter. I'm, I am comfortable in that role. Um, with that being said as well, I, I wasn't uncomfortable by any means in the two hole. Um, it was just, uh, it was, it was just a little different not being the first guy up, but you know, with our offense, we have so many different weapons and we're not really a traditional style offense that, um, I mean, you could mix and match so many different ways. Um, and I've talked to coach Vaughn about it, you know, just, uh, so many different ways that to beat teams and the order doesn't necessarily matter too much but um yeah I I do if 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 I had to draw the lineup I guess I, I would keep <laughs> myself uh in lead off and uh I, I do feel comfortable there I just I, I do the best I can to just spark the uh the offense and do my best to get on base hook or crook you know and um and let the guys uh behind me drive me in and really uh do some damage now just on a little bit of a more somber note before the game on Friday uh you guys found out that Mason the kid you had the the relationship with through Tim, team impact had uh passed away how did you guys find out about that and can you just talk about as a senior and one of the leaders of this team kind of the relationship you guys had uh with Mason yeah you know that was that was definitely really tough um we found out um by right before when we bring it up, um, right before the game, when uh, Coach Vaughn talks to us um, just about last-minute things, um, and when we run a little bit, get our legs loose, and then say a prayer before the game, um, he brought that up. Not necessarily as like something that was like you know, um, let's play for him or this, that, and the other, but just kind of to give everybody kind of uh, kind of a wake-up call as far as like if you're struggling at the plate, if you're if you're feeling bad about yourself, this, that, and the other, that that was something that sort of he said, I believe, just to kind of have us like, 
which is where I'm looking for, just kind of be like a reality check, you know. And May, I had the pleasure, as well as the rest of the team, to meet Mason. And, man, he was just – he was a little bundle of joy. He uh, he he was so excited to be here. He was so excited when he got to, um, you know, video chat with us. Um, and to see someone like that who has so much, um, you know, Maryland spirit and someone who didn't he, – he has gone through – he's tougher than anyone I know. And he's – you know, he's, he was so young. So it's, it's tough to even talk about just because you can – you could see how excited he was just to be on the field with us um, for just a short period of time. And, you know, he he taught me a lot just as a person, just, you know, kind of like I was just saying when maybe when I'm not having the best day or maybe, you know, we just lost a game or we so, something's not going right in my life, you know, like that kind of brings me back down. Like it, it it's a reality check for me. And I realized that, you know, it's – Life can be short, and, and I shouldn't feel sorry for myself in any way when someone like that can fight so hard and beat it once and then um, come back. And unfortunately, it, it took him the second time. But, you know, um, I pray for that little dude every night um, since I've heard, and uh, I'm going to continue to do that. He's he's somebody that I'm, I'm going to keep in my mind for a while just because uh, he's impacted me in a, in a really – really positive way and um i'm just going to keep his his himself and uh, his family in my in my prayers for a while so now you're in your fourth year here and you've seen kind of a transformation of a program from there not being a whole lot prior to you being here and now been to two supers made it to a regional again last year and maryland is on the map uh, to say the least i guess yep. in terms of the college baseball landscape what does it mean to you to kind of be at the forefront of a really impactful player at a program that has not only been on the up and up, but all indications are that it's just going to keep going even farther that way. Yeah, it's been awesome. Just, uh, I mean, four years has come and gone in the blink of an eye almost, it seems like. But, you know, uh, just remembering my freshman year like it was yesterday to see how far, you know, we've come as a program and and uh, just kind of the way uh, we go about everything every single day. Um, you know, it, it's been – I couldn't be happier with, with my decision to come to Maryland. Um, I've grown so much as a player and as a person. And just, you know, this is just the beginning. I mean, when I'm long gone from here, I mean, Maryland's just going to keep going um, in the right direction for sure. And, uh, you know, just to be a part of this right now, um, to kind of set uh, set the tone, I guess, for, for the things to come and uh, in the future as well is is really cool um i'm trying my best to uh enjoy every single second i can right now because this is my last year uh wearing maryland across my chest and uh like i said i i have nothing but good th things to say about it and i'm and it's just gonna be it's gonna be hard next year to to not have it across my chest for sure but you know um what's awesome as well is just how many guys that have either dr got drafted or graduated since i've been here um I mean, if you look at social media and if they're local, they're at games, like everyone's still pulling for each other. And, you know, it's that's something I think is pretty special when you have guys that, um, you know, only play with you for a short period of time. Like when I was younger, just to get in text messages and you see all over social media just wishing us luck and and staying in the loop as far as what what's going on here. And that that I think that's really, really neat. And uh, that's what I'm going to do as well when I'm done, obviously. And and I think that. Uh, 
that's kind of the the culture we have here. It's kind of one big family, and uh, it's just nothing but good things to say about it. Yeah, all the time we see former players at the games, and I talked to Ryan Selmer the other day, and he said he listens all the time when you guys are on the road, so hopefully you'll listen next yeah. year. Uh, but now that you're a senior and – there aren't a lot of you left that came in together, but there's a foursome of you, Justin Morris, Taylor Bloom, and Kevin Biondic, who have everyday roles on this team. And then Taylor Bloom's obviously your Friday night starter. What's it like to have those guys you came in with and developed a relationship for four years now, and now here you are trying to make it to another regional and things like that, and you've got Kevin at first every day, J-Mo behind the plate most days. Every Friday, Taylor's out there, and you're out in center field every day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome. I mean, those guys, we've gone through so much together. And, um, you know, I'm I'm so I'm really close with all three of them. And any, I mean, anytime you can get a group of seniors like that, that can kind of um, not I mean, lead the way, but at the same time, just help help um, a lot of the younger guys and uh, along with everything. I mean, it's good. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different types of personalities in, in that little group. I mean, you got uh, Bloom and uh, and JMO, who are a little bit quieter, and then Biondic, who's the total opposite, <laughs> um, and then me, who's kind of a little bit in between, I guess. Um, so I mean, it's 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 been one heck of a ride for us, and you know, we have so many stories, and we talk about it all the time about just how quickly it's gone. So I think kind of what I was saying earlier, as far as just trying to enjoy every single second of it that we have left, and. Uh, enjoying each other's presence for sure and then uh just doing our best to to leave everything we have on the on the field um because we owe it to each other and and the rest of the team for sure to give it everything we got and to to go out on a positive note and uh i think they would they would all be in agreement of that as well a couple weeks ago i asked kevin his best taylor bloom story and he told me something about there being like a hole in the ceiling in their house that Bloom gets upset about every day. <laughs> um, do you have a great Kevin Biondic story that you can share with us? Because I feel like there has to be at least one. I mean, yeah, there's there's a million of them, to be honest, being that he's my uh, – till this year he was my uh, roommate on the road on every trip. Um, we were also roommates together in the varsity my sophomore year, I believe, but – trying to think of one I can uh, tell you here on the air. Um, <laughs> no, he's he's a character. When when we would go on the road sometimes, uh, I remember it was last year. Um, we – I forget where we were, to be honest, but um, the air conditioner wasn't working. And, uh, I mean, we walked in there, and it was like 100 degrees, and, and we <laughs> – we had no idea like how to fix it and it was like super hot and like it just felt like the middle of a jungle so we're kind of freaking out making a big deal about it like kind of jokingly complaining and um there was some guy some guy next door i guess he, uh i guess he was napping or something in the middle of the day when we got there and he uh he knocked on our door and i opened it and he he asked if we needed some help and uh Obviously, I jumped all over the situation and said, absolutely, <laughs> come right in. Uh, my roommate's right over there. He would love you to help him. And he, uh, the guy walks in. He was wearing some – he was like a middle-aged guy, I guess, with like tattoos all over his legs. And he was just kind of a funny-looking guy. And he came in. And <laughs> I don't know. It, me and Kev just sat there, and he walked over and helped Kev. And 
the whole time we were just trying not to laugh and uh he asked us to keep it down at the end um there's a hundred stories with beyond dick i mean he's he's awesome he's an awesome person awesome teammate awesome player but um yeah you know that that was that was pretty funny um there's a lot of different stories of him just being crazy on the bench as well and and just wearing his jersey backwards for rallies and and getting mullets like patty kane does <laughs> i mean he he does it all for for this program as far as that stuff goes so he's he's awesome in terms of being a leader of this team with you four seniors, it kind of works out perfectly. Beyondick at first base, he kind of leads the infield. Morris behind the plate, the leader of everyone, kind of as the catcher. Taylor Bloom, a leader of the pitching staff. And then you as the leader of the outfield. And right next to you every day, you have a freshman in Randy Bednar who's got all the you know hype around him. He was drafted out of high school. Richie Sheikoffer is another freshman outfielder. And also Marty, who I know that you have a close relationship with. So what do you look at your role on this group as and kind of maybe what do you do differently as a leader, as a senior this year? Yeah, um, you know, being out, out there with those guys every day, um, you know, it's not something that to where I have to, ha like, motivate them to work harder in any way. Um, all the guys out there, they they give it their all every single day and they're working to be better every single day. Um, I just do the best I can. Obviously, I uh, – Anthony Papio is our outfield coach right now, and I've had the pleasure to play with him as well as him be my coach as well. So a lot of the stuff that um, Pat preaches to us and and kind of asks us to do on a, on a daily basis, I've I've heard it a, a good amount of times. So I do the best I can when uh, I guess when when we're doing stuff like shagging for BP and in between games and and you know when he's not always there just to kind of be an extra um, resource for guys to come to or, or at the same time just if I see something just to uh, point it out, this, that, and the other. But like I said, you know, it's nothing crazy. Those guys, those guys all work really hard. They're all extremely talented. Um, basically, another thing is I've been here for a while. It's my fourth year, obviously, and I've gone through – really good times, really bad times, ups and downs the game in, during the, in the game, outside of the game, stuff like that. So um, especially for the younger guys, it doesn't even matter if they're outfielders, infielders, pitchers, anybody just that need, you know, maybe somebody to talk to about something. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've probably gone through whatever it is they're going through. So, you know, I just do the best I can to, to be the best teammate um, as well as leader in, the, in that regard just to, to kind of keep guys – um, you know, level-headed and, and, you know, confident even through tough times and, and as well as humble even through really, really good times. So, um, you know, I think that's that's probably what I try and do the most and what I'm going to um, continue to do as a senior here this year. I've kind of, kind of asked everyone about this, um, but I think it's worth asking you as someone who's been here for four years, um, what was your reaction this summer when you heard the news that John Sheff was leaving and then – the news that it was going to be Rob getting the head coaching job. And then, you know, for the most part, the staff was pretty much staying the same, but everyone just shuffling roles a little bit. Yeah, um, it was definitely, it was a shock. And, and I loved coach chef. I still do. He still talks sometimes. I mean, he was, he was awesome as a head coach and um, you know, I'll never forget. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff for me and uh, helped me in, in a lot of different ways. So that was tough, but at the same time, you know, it's a business as well. I mean, he got an opportunity that he couldn't really turn down. And, uh, you know, I'm always going to 
uh, wish him the best of luck and, and hopefully continue to keep in contact with him for, for the rest of my life. But at the same time, uh, then the next question was, you know, who, yeah, who's going to come in now? Like I'm a senior, like, obviously I don't really have any control over this at all. And, uh, you know, I was really relieved to hear when, um, coach Vaughn got the job. Um, obviously out of all the coaches, he's been somebody that I've had like an extremely good relationship with since I was in, in the recruiting process and not even necessarily committed to Maryland. And then through that process all the way to my freshman year until now, I mean, he's been, he's been somebody that has always, you know, had my back and, and I could talk to about anything. Um, so just to have him take over was, was awesome for me. And then even better to have the rest of the coaching staff pretty much come back, you know, that, that was a big sigh of relief for me. Um, just like I said, as a senior, um, gonna knowing that I was going to have the same guys around me that have helped so much in my development. So, um, yeah, that it, and it's, it's been going awesome. I mean, it's, it's, the transition has been amazing. Um, Coach Vaughn's doing uh, an exceptional job, in my opinion, of just kind of picking up where Coach Chef left off and uh, keeping the uh, the train moving in the right direction for sure. And then the the uh, assistant coaches now um, who are back again are doing um, a great job as well. And you know, I I couldn't be happier with the way things are right now. It's certainly a high energy staff. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob's like that, and more than anyone I've ever met in my life. Coach Mascara is like that. <laughs> uh, what's it like playing for a group like that where, you know, everyone here loved playing for John Chef, but when you walk in a room, you know John Chef's the head coach and no one else is, whereas it's just kind of a – and I'm not saying that uh, it's not true with Rob and you, and you know the coaches are the coaches, but it's just like a really fun group to be around. It's awesome, you know. Um, I think it's uh, a little bit more modernized the way that our coaching staff is right now. I mean, we – we definitely uh, we have fun for sure, and I think that's super important because at the end of the day, you know, everyone loves this game and they play it because they have fun doing it. And at the same time, I think that applies to the coaches as well. So um, we definitely get our work in. Um, you know, we have times when we're extremely serious, but at the end of the day, like I think the the reason why it's been going so good right now is because you know there's you know, music blasting, there's guys laughing, there's jokes, there's this, that, and the other that keep everybody kind of loose and as opposed to being tense. And so many times, especially in college baseball, I think it can get very repetitive and, and almost like a job every single day as far as you know exactly what you're doing and this is how you're going to do it. And then tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and do this and do it all again. So, I mean, I think uh, part of that you need for sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, the way – that it's going right now with with our staff and uh, just the way things go on a daily basis. You know, it's just been very laid back, very relaxed, very more energy or juice, as we call it, than I've ever seen um, in this program. And I think that's something as well that's going to continue to grow and, and be sort of the culture that Maryland baseball kind of represents. Um, but, you know, it's been it's been great. Yeah, I, I'm I'm having as much fun as I have ever had. And uh, I think it's great for the younger guys, too, to, to kind of jump into something like this and, and to uh, kind of continue that trend moving forward. An example of that kind of, at least on my end of things, was at one point, I think right before the season, I kind of mentioned something about, like, hey, I'll wear Hawaiian shirts on Fridays or something. 
And I think every single time I've seen Moose since then, he's asked me why I'm not wearing it. So uh, I made a promise to him that <laughs> two Fridays from now against Stetson here, I'll be wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Need and it. Uh, he said his son Theodore will wear one as well and we'll get a <laughs> picture. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I want to talk about memories a little bit and what you think you're going to take away from here. My favorite Zach Jankarski memory was the – game tying home run against Penn State last year and you high stepping around second base and kind of all the way in uh, and then gum hits the walk off on the next pitch what memories are you and there are certainly plenty of memories still to be made uh, here in 2018 but as you look at it right now what do you think your lasting memories of here are going to be not necessarily only on the field but some of the relationships you made and stuff like that yeah um, you know that Penn State moment was definitely the best moment I've ever had on a baseball field for sure uh to so far um that was incredible I'll never forget that um you know it's funny because when the older you get the more you realize that like what you're going to take from this is really has nothing to do with my batting average or you know how many wins we got necessarily you know it's it's about kind of being with the same group of guys every single day, um, you know, going through the same issues, going through the same struggles and at the same and at like the same time, the same success, the same fun times. I mean, we're together all the time and it really is a family. So um, and you don't get stuff like that in pro ball necessarily. That's why guys, you know, who stay in college a little bit longer, really, that's what they take the most out of it, I feel like. And I'm certainly super happy that I get to to do that with with this team every single day and I have since my freshman year I mean just the the relationships I've created with uh with guys knowing that um you know it's different than just being a friend with somebody you know a friend somebody that is you know it's not I look at it like this with the guys on our team right now um I feel like if if I if something ever happened and I needed somebody at 4 a.m and they were sleeping or they were far away and I called somebody like I can guarantee the majority of the team right now the guys I've made really good relationships with would be there for me and I would be there for them too I mean that's something that uh, I mean you're lucky to find with somebody and and with this team you know and my in the previous teams before the reason why we're good and why we have success is because we're really close and we've always been that way and uh just leaving here after this year, those memories I've made with these group of guys and the ones in the past, just all over the place. Like, like just it, it'll stick with me forever, and I'll never forget that. And and I'll and I'll never like lose contact with these guys. It's just it's a brotherhood, it's a family, and it's something that uh, that I'll cherish for the rest of my life, no matter where I go from here and where my what my future, you know, into, um, just has in store for me. So. Uh, just that alone, I think, is something that's gonna that that that's my best memories. Just just the group I have around me. So I want to do a couple fun things here. First all right. of all, uh, you're from Pennsylvania. You're a big Eagles fan for sure. And uh, it finally happened this year. Oh. You won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? <laughs> that was that was another huge memory that I'll never forget as well. <laughs> I mean, that was awesome. And I mean, we actually have a good amount of guys on the team like that 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 are Eagles fans. So. That was pretty cool. It wasn't like I was, like, the only one. But, you know, just that was amazing. Um, one of the best feelings I've had in a long, long, long time. So uh, hopefully we can continue it. It won't be forever until we get another one. But 
Um, yeah, that was that was incredible for sure. That was a very very nerve wracking game to say the least. My heart rate was probably unhealthy for it, but at the <laughs> same time, uh, it was uh, it was amazing. Do you trust the process? <laughs> I do. I do. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie to you and say I'm a huge like the Eagles are my Philadelphia team. I like the Sixers. I like the Phillies. You know, I like the Flyers, and I root for them. But I do trust the process. I I hope to see them win. But like, as far as diehard fan goes, I'm an Eagles fan at most. Are you excited about Michael Bennett? Yes, absolutely. I think <laughs> I think he's gonna be a huge a huge uh, positive thing for the Eagles right now. I mean, he's. I would not want to be an opposing quarterback against that defense, especially that line. So it's going to be fun. What should they do with Nick Foles? Uh, you got to put the GM hat on right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously I want to keep him. Um, I mean, it just depends, I guess, on if somebody wants to pay him a good amount of money, which I feel like would probably happen. So what should they do? They should keep him. Will they keep him? I, I don't know because you've got a franchise quarterback that's going to be there for a long, 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 long time. So, I'm going to guess you don't remember this, but I'm going to share a story with you. Um, I transferred here after my freshman year, and you were the first person that goes to Maryland that I ever met. Not baseball. I remember. Ever. You do remember that. Yeah, was it in the, in the summer league? Yeah, up yeah. in Sanford, Maine. Yep. Uh, it was the second to last game of the season, and the team I was working for – was Mystic. on uh, Ocean State. Ocean State, yeah. We right. were on one of the worst runs of any baseball team I've ever seen. <laughs> and if I'm being completely candid, I was just waiting for the season to end. Yeah. And uh, we had to come up from Narragansett, Rhode Island, to Sanford, Maine. And uh, we weren't going to get back till like, 4 in the morning. And we were losing. And, and at that point, um, if we won the game, we were going to set up a playoff to get into the playoffs, which would add another day to my summer there. Um, and it looked like we were going to lose the whole game, and your team ran out of pitching and brought in a catcher from Vanderbilt. Tristan Chari. Yes, I sir. It. Yeah. And, and uh, gave up a home run. But, yeah, you, uh, I saw you after the game. You said, nice sweatshirt. I was wearing a Maryland sweatshirt. Yeah. So uh, you were the first person that goes to Maryland that I ever met. So All right. I remember about, that for sure. How about that? Well, that's cool. Um, so coming into this week, you guys have a big week coming up. First game is this will be released on Tuesday, so we'll say tonight against Delaware, and you are facing the same pitcher that you saw on Thursday, another left-hander, five straight lefties that you guys are going to face. What does it do from a preparation perspective? Because you don't see it a lot in college baseball where you see a guy twice in a season, let alone in five days. Yeah. Um, you know, I think anytime you, you – the more you face somebody, um, the more comfortable you feel. Maybe that applies. Um Weirdly enough, it seems like the lefties we faced so far, uh, the four in a row that we faced were pretty eerily similar. So um, obviously not identical, but they had similar um, pitches and arm slots and all that stuff. So, um, you know, like I said, our offense has an, an approach and a plan every single day regardless of, of who's out there. So um, anytime, like I said, if you, if you have – you're going against the same guy – I like our, our chances just because our, our offense is, is so tough to to get out 27 times, let alone twice. So, um, you know, as far as the lefties go, it's just something that's kind of weird and you, you laugh about and you hate if you're left-handed probably <laughs> if you're hitting. But um, at the same time, we're, we're just going to go out there and run off our plan and, um, you know, play without the fear of failure and uh, 
I, I'm pretty confident good stuff's going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Whenever I talk to guys on the team, I get uh, no fear of failure, stay off results, uh, do it better than it's ever been done before, <laughs> and I've even started saying it. Everyone's kind of in on the, uh, the lingo. Yeah. The next two weekends, next two weeks, I guess, well, we'll say, there are very big opportunities ahead of you guys coming up this weekend. Number 18, ECU. There's a midweek at North Carolina in there, and then a Stetson team that's only lost one game. How much does that excite a group like this? You've already taken two of three at Tennessee, won a game at Coastal, and now you have some huge opportunities right before Big Ten play. It's awesome. I mean, with this group, um, kind of so far, I feel like we we do better against better competition. And that, that's not necessarily a good thing, um, but anytime, you know, we're going up against good, a good team um, for a series or a midweek game um, and all that, you know, we, we get excited. I mean, our, our offense and our pitching staff and, and our bullpen and everything, you know, we're, we're very capable of playing with anybody in the country, we, we believe. And uh, at the same time, when, when those opportunities present itself, we're pretty excited and we get locked in and we do the best we can to come out on top. And, and we've, we've done that so far a little bit this season. And, um, you know, we at the same time too, it doesn't really matter who who we're playing. We're gonna do the best we can to stay within ourselves and 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 within what we believe in as far as a as a pitching staff, as a as an offensive group. Um, so moving forward, it's gonna be definitely exciting um, to get these games in. Um, kind of almost like a we'll see kind of really what we're made of, and and that's exciting for sure. So. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I know the rest of the guys are, and uh, um, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. Well, Moose, I think, took the award for longest interview ever on the podcast. I oh, think man. I talked to him for like 45 minutes, but I think you're taking home longest player at <laughs> 31 and a half minutes right. right now. So really appreciate you taking the time, and good luck the rest of the way, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Our thanks to Zach Jankarski for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Now I'm back with Connor, and it's time to preview the upcoming week. And Maryland will start with the midweek game on Tuesday against Delaware. As we said last Thursday, Maryland lost to Delaware 7-1. and Since then, Delaware took a weekend series at home against Monmouth 2 out of 3. So the Blue Hens are now 8-5, and and we are going to have the same pitching matchup on Tuesday that we had last week on Thursday. The senior left-hander Matt Hornich for Delaware and then the right-hander, the freshman Mark DeLuya for Maryland. Just to remind everyone, DeLuya in that game, three innings, five hits, three earned runs. Hornich, five innings, three hits, one run, four strikeouts. And coming off the loss at home against this team, I think it would obviously be huge if Maryland can kind of right the ship and even and split the year, the yearly home-and-home home series with the Blue Hens. Yeah, Hornich and the uh, rest of the Delaware rotation, they used three relievers after him going the five innings in College Park on Thursday. Really just baffled the Maryland hitters. They got just the one run, and that came off of Hornich. Nothing in the final four innings against the bullpen, and it's going to be big for the Terps to get this win. You do not, you know, even though Delaware is definitely playing well and definitely 
the Blue Hens. Going to be a contender in the CAA this season. Coming off a nice weekend with two wins over Monmouth. You really don't want to have the two losses to Delaware on your resume come the end of the season. I think this is a big game for the Terps to keep a little winning streak going. You know, they've won two in a row over Bryant now. You want to get that one. And I think the most important part is what we just talked about is this maybe being Maryland's hardest stretch, at least to the season, you know, to this point in the season. So it's going to be big to get this win because this is the easiest game of the next nine for the Terps is this road midweek against Delaware. So it's going to be big for the Terps to try and get this one before they go to East Carolina. I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think once the first Delaware game got moved to Thursday and it turned into a five-game and six-day stretch, you were worried about what pitching would be available for this game. But with Hunter Parsons going nine innings, a complete game on Sunday, John Murphy ready to go on Tuesday. Kevin Biondic ready to go. Sean Fisher ready to go. Mike Vasteria ready to go. So even if Deluya is not great, uh, basically the whole bullpen is ready and fully ready to go for Maryland, and since this midweek's on a Tuesday, not a Wednesday, everybody will have a couple days off after that before the ECU series. So pitching-wise, that sets Maryland up in a good spot. And on the other side, I mean, Hornich was really good last Thursday, but now Maryland's seen him once, so you would think they could have more success. The Terps have struggled historically and this season against left-handers, and this is now dating back to last Thursday when Hornich started. It's going to be five straight lefties as starters that Maryland's going to face. Yeah, and they've had a little bit of a struggle earlier in the season and last year against the lefties, but obviously got it together Saturday and yesterday getting the wins. And I think the bigger point, you know, is about the Maryland pitching that you brought up. I mean, all those bullpen guys are going to be available, even if DeLuya can't get himself through the four or five innings that the Terps would need. I think they could make it a bullpen game, and with everyone rested, they could get the win. And then everybody gets the full two days off. Uh, excuse me, Wednesday and Thursday. And then you look at Friday, you have Bloom going out there. You hope he gives you length and you get back into the weekend or maybe you hope you don't use as many of your bullpen guys. So I think it sets up the Terps well going forward with all those guys rested on Tuesday and gives them a lot better chance to pick up the W. So then the weekend series is against number 18, East Carolina. The Pirates are 12-3 out of the American Athletic Conference. They're on a current five-game win streak. The headliner on the season for them, was taking two of three in a series against North Carolina. They have midweeks against VCU and Elon this week. So a double midweek going into a weekend series could hurt some of the pitching depth of ECU. But overall, this team's just been fantastic this season. They bat 299 as a team. The ERA for the group is 2.47. And offensively, they are very deep. Only two players Two position players have started every game for ECU, so they have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things. Last year, they were 32-28 and 7-17 and and in the conference, but won three games in the conference tournament after a 2016 season where they won a regional and took the Texas Tech Red Raiders to three games in the Lubbock Super Regional. So this is a very good program. They brought in a top 20 recruiting class this season, picked fourth in the preseason in the AAC, but they've surpassed expectations so far this year. Yeah, and you talked about, you know, those two midweek games they have to play, and I think the Terps are really going to want that bullpen to be taxed in those two games because there's no way those three weekend starters are going to get taxed, obviously probably saving them for the Terps. And the weekend starters for ECU have just been absolutely phenomenal this season. I mean, Trey Benton will go Friday. We assume Chris Holba Saturday. And then Tyler Smith, who made his first start last weekend, will most likely go Sunday. And those three guys, nobody's ERA is higher than 2.13. You have 
Holba, and Benton, who have combined this season. An unbelievable stat from the two of them. 50 and two-thirds innings combined between the two of them. 58 strikeouts and just five walks between your Friday and Saturday starters. Absolutely ridiculous from the two of them. That's why ECU has been so consistent this season. Five wins in a row. They're 12-3. and three. Just got the sweep of Charlotte this past weekend. They're looking like a very good baseball team, which means if the Terps can come out and get some hits and get by these starters, get into the bullpen, these wins would be huge for the resume. Yeah, if you put those three weekend starters together, you gave Smith and Holba stats. But if you put the three of them together, if we assume Smith will get his second straight weekend start, it'll be Benton Friday, Holba Saturday, and Smith on Sunday. The three of them, 67 and a third innings pitched, just 46 hits against them, 64 strikeouts against seven walks, and a 1.20 ERA, which is frankly incredible. Holba in his first three starts did not allow a run, gave up two against Charlotte this week, but seven scoreless against St. Joseph's, seven scoreless against UNC, four and two-thirds scoreless against West Carolina, and Benton, a sophomore, pitching on Fridays. Six innings, no earned runs against UNC, eight and a third, just one run against Charlotte. So these three are going to be tough, and as you said, they don't walk anyone. Yeah, and also Tyler Smith, He his first four appearances of the season were out of the bullpen. He even had a save to start the season, so was maybe looking at a late bullpen closer role. Then he gets his first start Saturday in the second game of a doubleheader against Charlotte. He just goes out there, throws six innings, gives up three hits, no runs, and strikes out three and walks just the one batter. So he's just pounding the strike zone. So a reliever who comes into a game three of a series start and throws six innings, and I'm assuming after that we're going to see him against Maryland on Sunday. Now there's a chance they could maybe try and use him in a relief role during the midweek because they have the two games and throw somebody else out there next Sunday. But if he goes out there, I mean, that is a tough starting rotation. With the way the Terps are pitching, too, with Parsons at the end and Bloom and Bloom, it's going to be a very pitcher-heavy matchup this weekend. So it's probably going to be who can get the most key hits in the key situations in those three games. Yeah, and for Tyler Smith, there's a little Maryland connection, excuse me. He played for the Bethesda Big Train this summer, so – a teammate of Zach Jankarski and John Murphy and Justin Morris, and they all won a summer championship. So those guys will know each other. But as you said, his ERA is .51. Holba's is .71. And Benton's is two one three. I can't, I can't believe Benton would go out there, show his face among those two other guys with, <laughs> with a, a 2, two one, three. one three. Yeah, quite, quite the weekend rotation for ECU under uh, fourth-year head coach Cliff Godwin, who – as we said, offensively, a very deep team for the Pirates. In terms of power, they are led by Spencer Brickhouse, who was a freshman All-American last season, and this year as a sophomore, he's hitting just under 300, and he leads the team in home runs. They don't hit a ton of home runs as a team, uh, but Brickhouse, a big left-hand hitting first baseman, is the main power threat um, for ECU, but they have a number of guys hitting well uh, over 300, Brickhouse, as we said, the four homers and 15 RBIs. But Jake Washer has been their best hitter. A guy who only played 10 games last season is hitting 459 with a homer and 12 RBIs in his first 37 at-bats. Brady Lloyd is hitting over 380, and Connor Litton is hitting over 350. Other than that, everyone's under 300. Brickhouse at 293. But this is a strong offensive team, but I think we can both agree it's led by the pitching staff. Yeah, the pitching staff just absolutely phenomenal. But talking about the hitters, I mean, teams just can't get Jake Washer out right now, the catcher. And the Terps are on a little bit of a string of facing catchers who just hit bombs and hit 
for average in the middle of lineups. I mean, they faced Mickey Gasper against Brian, who was obviously the best hitter in that lineup, 2017 NEC Player of the Year. John Rosoff for Army came in as the reigning player of the year in his conference. So the Terps are seeing a lot of good hitting catchers. They'll see another one in Washer, who's getting on base over 55% of the time already this season, which is unheard of. As you said, they got four guys hitting over 350 this season, and that lineup is so dangerous. But it's back to the pitching. I mean, the lineup is really just what helps out the pitching. It's those three starters, especially the Friday and Saturday guys for ECU that have really led them to this 12-3 and record, and they're going to be such a dangerous team throughout the season and in the AAC. And I just keep harping on it, but this is such a big chance for the Terps this weekend. We talked about the Coastal Carolina game being a big chance for the Terps, but that was just the one game, and they got it done. They got the win. You get three shots at a team like this to build onto your resume. That's huge for the Terps in non-conference play. So then you start to think about the Maryland side of this, and you say, okay, what would make this a successful week? I think you have to win the game against Delaware and then maybe one of three against ECU you're happy with. And if it can be a three-in-one week, I think you're elated if you're Rob Vaughn. Yeah, because of the weekend rotation, thinking of a 4-0 and week, I mean, that would be absolutely incredible. But, you know, you don't have to even think about that or expect that because that's, you know, with these three weekend starters, somebody's just going to toss a gem, you think. But if the Terps could get the one against Delaware and then the two against East Carolina, I think that is a very, very successful week for the Terps. Even at two and two with one against Delaware and one against ECU, it's a good week. But I think if they could take the series, get the midweek game, that would be a huge week going forward because it's another tough week coming up after that with UNC, Elon, and Stetson. So the Terps will send Taylor Bloom back out to the mound Friday, Tyler Bloom on Saturday, and Hunter Parsons on Sunday. The two things I'm most excited to see this week, can Nick Dunn keep up what he's doing, and will Hunter Parsons make it four straight good starts and three straight excellent starts? I think it's a huge opportunity for him. Um, what are you most excited for this week? I mean, I think the Hunter Parsons thing is big. This is the best lineup he's going to face, at least since he started to turn it around this season in this ECU lineup. So we're going to get to see what he can do against a team that, you know, nothing against Bryan or Army or Ball State and teams like that. But ECU is a legitimate top 25 team who's going to make some noise probably in the NCAA tournament this season. So this is going to be an even bigger test for Hunter Parsons. But I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is I want to see how Marty Costas can respond against the best pitching staff he's going to face because he has struggled mightily so far this season. Has Costas started obviously in that leadoff spot now is down to the three-hole for the Terps, but hitting just 151 this season. I think a huge chance for Marty Costas against some great pitching, especially this weekend, to break out of that funk in the middle of that Maryland order. And if he can start to hit again with the way the Terps are pitching and the way Dunn and Jankarski and guys at the bottom of that lineup like Gardner and Friedrich are starting to hit, the Terps are kind of starting to come together. And if Marty can pick it back up, it'll be huge for Maryland. So Tuesday, the Terps will start out the week in Newark, Delaware, against Delaware. That game will start at 3 o'clock pregame at 2.30, as always on the Maryland Baseball Network. Then spring break will start with a game Friday against East Carolina at 6.30, pregame at 6, Saturday at 4, and then Sunday at 1 o'clock. We'll obviously have the podcast for you again next week uh, to be determined if Connor will be on that with me. Hopefully he will, and we can coordinate some time while I'm down in North Carolina and Connor is wherever he's going to be for spring break. But uh, we hope you enjoyed this one, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again next week. But I'm sure everybody's going to miss you over the next week. Yeah, and I just wanted to point out, you know, you might not hear my voice, but you will hear a different voice on the headsets alongside Justin Glanty. You're used to hearing the voice of Taylor Smythe alongside either me or Justin 
uh, during those away games. But this week, it will not be Taylor Smith. You'll hear the voice of Jake Spitz on the color commentary for the broadcast. So we're not really sure what to expect from Spitz with the microphone in his face, but we'll see what happens, especially in those three games this weekend against East Carolina, his first go around. You may hear his voice. If it goes well, you may hear his voice on the podcast next week as well, but look forward to Spitz. But obviously you want to hear the sweet sounds of Justin Galanti bringing to <laughs> Terps baseball over the next week. Yeah, Taylor Smythe is going to be in England with the men's soccer team, so we hope he has a great time there, and uh, we'll see what we get from Jake Spitz. I'm excited for it. He and I have been talking about this for uh, – a couple months now so it should be very fun and it'll be fun to call some more Terps baseball with what we as what we've said uh, could be one or one of the bigger weeks of the season for this team so special thanks to Zach Jankarski for joining us on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast as always follow us on Twitter for updates at MD Baseball Net check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash MD Baseball Net Look at all our content at our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. So we hope you'll join us this week for these games against Delaware and East Carolina. And until then, so long, everyone.